Hi, my name is Scott Thomas, and this is a brand new episode of Learning As I Go. Last week, I was joined by Scott Sashua, who is not only one of my best friends, but also someone I've been through a lot with, especially in business. And we overcame some of our biggest failures in life to get to where we are now. This week, I am back with Miss Nicola O'Rell, and she is my incredible operations director at The Social PR, but she's so much more than that to me. She's pretty much my mother hen, my backbone, and also the shoulder that I lean on a lot when going through some of our difficult times, especially when we lost our dads at the same time within a week. This is an emotional episode, but we get so many life lessons from this, so I hope you enjoy, and let's get ready to learn as we go. Wow, I'm excited about this. This is a brand new episode of Learning As I Go. And as you all know, this podcast is all about self-development and talking about my journey and also introducing you guys to someone or well, a lot of people who've had a massive impact on my journey and my life. And one of those people, without a doubt, especially over the last two years, is Nicola. Thank you so much for joining me, Nick. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm a bit nervous, but I'm all right. <laughs> yeah, I'm is, is this your first podcast, Nick? Absolutely. I like listening to podcasts, not necessarily being on them. So this is a whole new thing for me. Oh, well, listen, thank you so much, Nick. Like, honestly, this means the world because where do I start, Nick? Well, I don't know where I'm going to start, actually. I'm going to start from how you came into my life, right? I actually think like the stars aligned really when this happened because at the time, Food for Thoughts was really sort of gathering momentum and I was really passionate about that. And I knew that I love social PR, but I knew that I needed a leader within that business, right? And then David sat down and he said to me, no word of a lie, he said to me, Scott, you need a proven leader. You need someone who's gonna help you take this business to the moon, right? And I was like, right, okay. So I left that meeting and literally, Kevin straight after me. that meeting, yeah, straight after that meeting, I had a meet with Nicola and bear in mind, I met Nicola um, a couple of times over the years. Nicola worked in advertising and made some big moves at an agency she was at, at the time. But then at that time, you currently set off to launch your own business called yeah. Edison Media. And you were meeting me about that, right? Yeah, I came to meet you and I was like, right, so Scott obviously has got a couple of clients that he potentially wants to do some advertising with. And I remember I went to the wrong offices at first and then I trekked through Manchester to come and meet you. And I met you and we sat down and I left the meeting was in my head was just in a spin. I was like, what was that? Like, I don't understand. I've gone in to sell advertising and I've come away looking at potentially working with him. How does that even happen? Yeah, just to put it into context, guys. So Nicola started talking to me about her business and advertising. And I sat there and straight away, I just looked at Nick and bear in mind, I've, I've always warmed to Nick. She's just got such a, a warm personality, but she's also like a boss. Like you were, you was in your suit at the time. You always looked the part. And I just knew that you were like a proper leader. And as you were talking about advertising everything else, I just stopped you in your tracks and went, Nick, I said, you don't fancy running social PR for me, do you? <laughs> like literally this is our first meeting. And I just knew straight away and you went, what? And then literally from that moment, we just went into business mode, right? Like you yeah. literally came away and said, Scott, I, I, I'm really confident I can do this. And you had years of experience, like running big teams and everything else. So it was just like a match made in heaven. And that year we went on, didn't we? To We had a yeah. team of like 
What were you going, Nick? I'll let you talk. What, where were we at that point? From my point of view, I came in and I remember when I met you and there was Beth in your office and that was pretty much it. And then you had Catherine, but Catherine was out of the office at the time. And I went away and I looked at the business and the model and I looked at what was working and what wasn't working. And, and I just, bear in mind, we were in COVID at this point and 80% of your business was hospitality and that in itself was, was an issue. And I just came away and thought, you know what, with some grit and determination, I can I can change this business and I can I can do what I need to do and I can support Scott and build the team. And, you know, I'm really good at procedures and policies and strategies and, you know, driving a team and a business forward. And I think that's what we've done. But Nick, what sort of like, from the moment I met you, you were always a boss, right? Like, I just always say, <laughs> can I say it on the podcast? I'm going to say it. I always call her a boss bitch, right? She's like the ultimate boss, but... You also, I mean, you told me this yourself as well. Like Nick's got this hard exterior, but she's also a big softy deep down. She calls herself, is it a strawberry milkshake? No, strawberry cream. Quality street strawberry cream is what I've referred myself to. But I think that's what makes you so special, Nick. Not only can you be a boss, but you're also fair and you've got that, that soft side to you as well. But talk to me about what made you a boss. Like what made you so driven in life and where did it come from? I think from my point of view, I think my upbringing, you know, and I know we're going to touch on this in a little bit later, but I was obviously raised by my mum and dad and lived in a happy home. And then when my dad was eight, he left to move to London and my mum and dad split up and it was just me and my mum against the world. And my mum didn't have an awful lot, but what she did have was a great work ethic and instilled that in me right from a very early age. And I think... Then fast forward through school and at the age of 16, I fell pregnant with my first child and, you know, in life. And I think people will understand that when you're 16 and you're, you're going to have a child and you haven't got a financial income necessarily, you've got to work hard for every bit of money that you get into the house. And it was a challenge. It was tough. And me and my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, moved out of my mum's home and we got a house of our own. And it, you know, we soon realised that without working really hard, that we weren't going to survive being parents of a small child. And I think that, in in essence, has always been my driving force. It has always been my children and my husband and my family. And, you know, I've got three children now and I always want to do the best by them. You know, my my mum is my mum and my dad was in my life, but not in my life on a day-to-day -day basis. So I, you know, that again came with challenges and I always wanted to be present. I wanted to be, you know, a great parent to my children and I wanted to instill great work ethic and great values with my children. But I knew that I didn't have anybody to lean on. I had to do that myself together with my husband. We had to work really hard and there was challenges throughout throughout life. I'm 41 now and I've, you know, I've worked for many different businesses and ran my own business. And some of it's luck. I think me and you meeting all those years ago was luck. You knew my, my eldest son and, you know, our stars have aligned. But I think in business, if you're not prepared to put the shift in, then you're not going to reap the reward. And, you know, I am fair, but I am really, really firm at the same time because without being firm, you're not going to get results. Yeah, and I think, listen... I think you've done an amazing job. Um, for the benefit of the listeners, Nick is the ultimate mum and the way that you treat those kids. And I know you've got grandkids now as well. Like, can you believe it, grandkids? <laughs> um, but she's just such a family-orientated person and you managed to balance that with work somehow. I don't know how you managed to do it. But just to touch back on that, Nick, because we've never talked about this before, but did you feel that there was a lot of judgment then at the time of you being a teenage mum? Yeah. And, and what was that like? What was that experience like? I remember picking my GCSEs up 
way back when. And I went to pick them up back in the day when you didn't get them on email. When I went to school, guys, you did have to go and pick your GCSEs up at school. So I went to pick them up from school. And I remember my art teacher saying, I always knew you'd be the first to get pregnant in your year. And it really instilled a really deep emotion in me that I didn't want to be what they clearly presumed I was going to be. And I did see that same teacher uh, in my hometown years, years later. And I rem- and I had all three of my children there at that one time. And I remember saying, you know, I'm still with my husband and these are all his children and I've got a great life now. And just, um, and, and with a smile on my face, basically saying, you know, what you thought and what you judged of me and what lots of people are judged, you know, lots of people in this world are judged and, you know, that's not nice and it's not fair. You know, did I plan to have a child at 17? No, I absolutely didn't. However, now at 41 and my eldest is nearly 24, I've got a great relationship with him and he is me through and through. And I'm proud of of what he's achieving in his life. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just, I always want to prove people wrong, I think. And that's the same with you. You know, when we first met, I know that you warmed to me and I know you trusted me. But I do know that deep down in your back of your mind, you would have thought, can she really do what she says she's going to do? And it's about proving people wrong and about going that extra mile and grafting to make sure that you get the results that I say. I'm not just, I don't waffle. I do do actually do the do. <laughs> well, you've certainly done that because you've done yourself so proud and like Nick's family is incredible and just such a, a beautiful family and you're all so tight and for you and Andre still to be get to, uh, together to this day I think it's really rare in this day and age and you guys love each other so much like tell me about what you said like literally when you leave the house you, you still text each other saying I love you and stuff yeah, like so I've been with my husband since I was 12 um Andre <laughs> oh, no 12. 12 Andre is now 44 and I'm 41 and we love each other more now than we ever have and I leave the house in the morning and we always give each other a kiss before we, one of us leaves for work we'll always text each other in the day and Andre will always text I love you he always asks if I'm okay he's got some sixth sense sometimes when he knows either I'm in a tough meeting or whether you know I'm a little bit stressed and he just sends a quick, are you okay? Kiss, kiss. And it's just that, you know, he's my biggest fan. He's my biggest supporter and he's my biggest rock. And I think that's helped me be the person I am. You know, he's, he's always there. Always. That's amazing. Like, honestly, when you were telling me that, when <laughs> I was actually laughing, wasn't I? I was in the car and, and you're like, he just texted me saying he loves me. And I went, I said, you two really that soppy still now. And you're like, yeah. And I was like, that's so rare. In this day and age for a couple who's been together, as long as you are, to be still so madly in love. And I think it's really amazing. And, and I think it's really important to have that support around you and, and, and as a credit to your family. I think one of the defining moments that me and you went through, um, which was quite early on in our working relationship, and I remember it like it was yesterday because obviously it was such a, a horrible day. But me and you were in a meeting in Wilmslow and then I got the call about my dad. And this was pretty much... Probably within a couple of months, as was working together, right? Yeah, I remember we were we were interviewing somebody, and I remember we were sat next to each other. And when we're always sat next to each other, your phone was just on the table. And I saw Rachel, your cleaner, had rang you, and you'd obviously ignored it. And then I saw her ring again, and I mouthed to you, "Go and take the call if you want to." And you were like, "No, no, no, it's absolutely fine. It's all fine." Mm. And she rang again, and you turned your phone over. I remember it. And then as we finished up the meeting, you rang her as we were leaving and the emotion that came from you 
as we were walking down the stairs in Wilmslow was a sound I don't think I've heard before. And I knew, I knew something was wrong and it was badly yeah. wrong. Yeah, I think that you've got such a good memory in it because it was, I missed like four missed calls off her. Mm. And then she just said to me, um, she said, my dad's not responding. And I just knew that because I knew my dad and this, this sort of situation he was in with his health and everything else. I just knew that I just, I knew it was that moment. So anyway, I jumped in the car and I drove back to mine and you obviously followed in the car behind. Mm. And obviously that day I lost my dad and you were there with me going through that moment. And I was just like, I couldn't actually believe that. I almost felt sorry for you to, for you to be in that situation with me at the time because it was so intense, but you were amazing. And you were just like, literally like, like my mum from the, and it, straight away you were there for me and you just looked after me and, and it just created this bond between us. And I remember you did, you even did a, a Marks and Spencer shot for me um, the next day or something yeah. to keep me like on tabs on me. And, it, and you just had my back as well with the business. You went, Scott, don't worry. I've got the business. It's under control, everything. And you were just my rock at that time. And, and it really did form a special bond. But what I think is crazy as well is that at that time, your dad was ill as well, seriously ill. Yeah. And... You actually lost your dad a week later. Was it a week later, was it? It was six days after you lose, you lost your dad. I lost mine. So literally within the space of a week, we both lost our dads. We were both on this new journey together in business and we were both at our weakest, right? Mm. And mm. I didn't know how I was going to get through it, but I know that you were there for me and you were so strong and I, I couldn't, and this is credit to how strong you are. You literally put on such a brave face for me during that time, maybe because... You looked at me like a bit of a son at the time, straight away. And But what was that like for you, Nick, to, to go through that? Because a lot um, of people have heard my story it, about my it's dad. Just... It's tough. It's really tough. And I think anybody listening who's lost a loved one, a close loved one, would understand the, the emotion. And I, we had a chat yesterday about it. But I remember, so my dad, had, um, my dad was fit and well. You know, my dad wasn't ill and he was still working. And then just one day I got a phone call to say that he'd, he'd had a seizure and he'd been taken into hospital and and then he rang me the day after and he was like I'm absolutely fine I'm not staying in that hospital there's nothing wrong with me and I remember him facetiming he was led on his couch having a cigarette and I was like what are you doing you silly man and he was like I'm absolutely fine nothing wrong with me and then that was the week of, of your dad dying and he said to me um, I'm fine I've got an outpatient appointment on the Monday uh, I'm going to go to that outpatient appointment everything will be fine don't worry about me and that was that so on the Monday he obviously went to this appointment I've not heard anything. It was like half nine is appointment. I've not heard anything by half 12. And I rang his wife and she said that they'd admitted him into hospital. And I was like, how can they admit somebody from an outpatient appointment into hospital at that time? He must be really poorly. And at the time she said, no, he was just going to have some tests and it was the right thing for your dad. And I didn't really think much of it. And in hindsight, I should have gone to London. I should have gone to London and I should have gone and seen him. And I didn't, you know, and that's something that I'll perhaps regret for, for the rest of my days. But I remember we obviously, it was Friday when, it, and, and I'll, I remember your dad's death like it was my own and it was a Friday and I know the exact time it was. And I remember I stayed with you at your house and obviously Adam was already here and then Ryan arrived and, you know, you were with your brothers then at that point. And then I stayed with you for about three or four hours, I remember. And then I said, uh, I'm going to leave you now. And you and your brothers were just sat in the kitchen and you were just going to deal with it as a family and I left and I, I remember leaving and I was on the motorway and my stepmom at the time rang me and said, your dad had had loads of tests in the day. 
and all the tests have come back clear. And I remember driving home and I felt guilty. I felt guilty that you just lost your dad in such really sudden circumstances. And my dad had been poorly and been in hospital, but had in in my head had the all clear. Like I thought he'd had the all clear, like this, all these scans had come back clear and I just thought he'd come home. And then on the Sunday, I got a phone call off, off my stepmom and she said, you've been granted what was called an amber pathway visit into hospital because obviously at the time COVID had shut all hospitals and you couldn't get into hospital. And I didn't even know what what an amber pathway visit was, but in technical terms, what it is, is when um, a really close one has been put on an end of life care plan, basically, they were going to pass away. Wow. I was granted access to go and see him. And I remember, obviously, I was broken and I knew I couldn't tell you. I think that was the thing. I was like, I need to just... And I remember we were texting on the Sunday and I didn't tell you about it. And then on the Monday, I got the first train out of Manchester down to London and uh, you text me in the morning and I was just making sure you're okay. But then obviously you were talking to me about work. You were saying, you know, is everything okay? Have you got everything under control? Obviously I'm not going to be about. And at that point I thought, I need to tell you what's going on. And I remember texting you saying, look, I don't want you to get too emotionally involved in this, but you know, I've had really bad news and I'm on my way to London to go and see my dad. And obviously I went in to see my dad and it, it's a sight. I've never ever spoken about this before, but it's a sight that I never, ever would want to see again. You know, I expected my dad to just be severely poorly, but what I actually saw was somebody who was not my dad. You know, he was just, he was dying, and he, but he knew I was there and it, it was tough. It was really tough. And I think at that point, I didn't know what to do because I knew I was going to lose my dad. I knew I couldn't stay, um, which was tough. Um Oh, I just had to come home so I remember coming back home um, on the train on the Monday with hope that potentially some miracle may happen but on the Thursday, Thursday morning he passed away so you know in all of that the two senior leaders in the business were grieving and I didn't know what to do and I remember ringing you saying I'll have your back when you're the weakest, but you need to have mine when I'm at the weakest. And for the whole of December, we were pretty much out of the business because we just could do the day-to-days, but that's all we could do. I could, you know, I could only just get up in the morning and, and deal with what I needed to deal with. But at the time we had a phenomenal team that stepped up and, and looked after things for us. But for, for me, I think that made us closer because we were grieving the same grief for our dads at the same time. But actually for me, my dad was always a massive driving force from a a business point of view. My relationship with my dad wasn't playing on the swings and it wasn't going to parties or watching me play netball or doing all of those things, you know, and I, I laugh and I still laugh now, but I used to ring my dad and my dad used to say, hello, Martin Oral," And I'd be like, it, dad, it's Nick. And he'd be like, yeah, I know it is. And I'm like, so why are you answering the phone, Martin Oral?" And I still laugh now because that's how he used to treat everybody in, in his life. It was very corporate, very commercial. But I believe that even now, nearly two years on, he's guiding me in the right way to do great things. And, you know, I miss him as you do your dad. I miss my dad immensely. But I talk to him all the time and I feel like he answers questions sometimes that I don't have the answers to in his own little way. And I know he'd be proud. 
Oh, Nick, he'll be so proud of you. And I think that's something I say all the time. Our dads, I feel like more than anyone else in our lives, they're always with us mm. and they live on through, through us. And I never had the, the privilege of meeting your dad, but I know that everything you are, he was. And when I talk about you being a boss, that's the same way that you talk about your dad as well. And in a strange way, I'm grateful that me and you managed to go through that together because... Mm. I feel like we did have each other's backs and I feel like there was that moment as well, Nick, where, do you know what? We're, we're both very driven. We both want the best in life when it comes to business and everything else. But there was a moment where we both just said, do you know what? Everything else needs to stop for a minute and mm. we need to grieve. We need to have some time out and just focus on getting over this. And we didn't care about the growth of the business at the time. We just went, you know what? Sometimes in life, there's more important things and yeah. we both support each other on that. And we said, you know what? Let's just kind of survive, survive yeah. this period, recuperate, get ourselves strong again. And that's what we did together. And, and we supported each other and it was amazing. And literally, I think that's what gave us that bond that then went on to that year, last year to go on and just really just smash life and, and, and grow together. And I remember, I remember that. So obviously we, we did pretty much have December off and in January we were like, right, okay, we've had time, you know, we're still going to be feeling the way we're feeling, but we need to move forward now and we need to drive. And I, rem I remember it like it was clear as day. I sent you a picture outside A&E because my husband had been rushed into hospital with COVID and I was like, are you actually joking? Like, could this get any worse? And he was like, what are you doing? And I said, oh, Andre's been rushed into hospital with COVID. Like, I'm still on my phone. But anyway, obviously, Andre was absolutely fine. But for us, last year, it was an opportunity to obviously continue to grieve. And, and we and I continue to grieve on a, on a daily basis. And I think of my dad all the time. But actually you need to just sometimes put that to one side. And I don't ever talk about my dad. We laugh about this, but I don't talk to anybody really about my dad, not even my husband, because I get upset. So I don't like talking. And we go back to the strawberry cream scenario where if I don't talk, I've got a hard exterior and it's only when you start cracking me that I go dead soft. <laughs> Do you know what, Nick? Let's talk about that. Because there is, I mean, there are a lot of people out there who don't really talk um about their feelings. I mean, me and my brothers, for example, we all wear our hearts on our sleeves and we just can talk for days about how we're feeling. feeling. When I lost my dad, I, I always try and describe how I felt. And I feel like the only way to describe it is emptiness, mm -hmm. like instant, like sort of emptiness. Like I just felt like, wait, wait, wait a second. Like I'm never going to see my dad again. That was the moment where I just felt like, because he's like, he's part of us, mm -hmm. me and my brother's, and everything that we are was him in terms of our mannerisms, like the way we talked, the way Ryan walked, the way that Adam laughed, like, and it was that moment of realization that I'm not gonna have that in my life again, ever. And I think it was like instant sort of emptiness and loneliness for me. And the only way that I could sort of get my head around it was by instantly telling myself straight away that, wait a second, he's not gone. He's here, he's with me. And I started talking to him around the house. I still do it now. Um, I even think like, <laughs> my dad was quite spiritual and I know he believed in the afterlife and stuff. So sometimes I go, right, dad, when, when are you going to pop up? When are you going to pop up and scare me? So please don't scare me as if he's here. Like, do you know what I mean? And I think that's how I found sort of 
my comfort by just knowing that he was always with me. But what was the feeling like for you when you lost your dad? How did you um, feel? The same, uh, empty. I felt a really sharp pain in my chest that I struggled with for quite a long period of time. I think I felt lost again, that I would never ever see him again. And I think obviously I became a bit erratic finding memories. Like I kept thinking, some, I remember thinking, I need to find a birthday card with his handwriting on because I'm never going to see his handwriting again. Or have I got any voicemails with his, with his when he's ever left me a voicemail because I'm never going to hear his voice again. And I couldn't find my wedding pictures and I, and I went frantic. But I, then I had to get in touch with the photographer who luckily had them saved. And I just became a bit erratic and a bit erratic on things that didn't really matter, but to me mattered a lot. And I think I've changed. I think I've massively changed since dad died. Um, I, I know I have. I know I've massively changed. And In what way? Don't sweat over the small stuff. I used to sweat over things like, you know, what do people think or what do people say? Or what if I didn't ring my best friend in two weeks? Was she still going to be my friend? Or mm. uh, I've not cooked dinner this evening and, you know, will that affect my husband? Or like just little things, like really insignificant things. I used to sweat over the small stuff and it used to really bother me. And then when dad died, I thought it's all irrelevant because death is so final. And I think unless you've experienced death and grief, I, you know, I remember people talking to me about how they felt and, and I used to think at the time before losing my dad, I'd obviously lost my grandparents, but you know, the circle of life is that the older you get, the likelihood is you are going to pass away. And you know, when you lose your dad at 64, I had 20 years left in my head. I had 20 years left of, of my dad and that was taken away from me. And I also at the beginning felt quite jealous, if I'm honest, of other people who still had their dads. And I went through a period of time where I could be watching something on TV or I'd read an article in the newspaper or, or my friends or close, close friends and I'd think, oh, your dad's 67, you've got three years on me or, oh, your dad's 82 and you've had loads more time than I have. And then I sat back and thought, that's an awful way to, to look at it personally, but that's how I felt. And I think grief affects everybody differently, but you know, for me, don't sweat over the small stuff. Always tell your loved ones you love them because you never actually know when the last time is. You And I remember you saying that you told your dad you loved him before you left to come and meet me. And I remember that that interview should have been at your house. And that morning you changed it and we moved the meeting to Wilmslow within like an hour of, 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 of being and you left your dad and told him you loved him. And then I was sat thinking, when did I last tell my dad I loved him? And I couldn't remember. And I think that's the thing for me is that always, always tell your loved ones you love them all the time. And don't, don't sweat over the insignificant things because they might make some mistakes or say the wrong things sometimes, but they love you. And that's all that really matters actually is just as long as you surround yourself with people that love you and, and do everything for you, that's all that really, that really matters. I think the other thing that you need to also do is just be honest with yourself, but be honest with other people. And I think mm. I told clients that we were grieving, you know, I would openly engage in emails and say, I'm sorry it's taken me so long to reply. Unfortunately, you know, me and, me and Scott have both lost our dads and we're just going through a really difficult time and then directing them to the rest of the team. And, and actually people understand, you know, people mm -hmm. get it. And 
we're not robots, we're human beings and everybody else in business and in life is are also human going through, you know, some of their own challenges. And I just think, just be honest with people because they'll understand, you know, they'll understand we needed to take some time away from the business, but it wasn't a detriment to the clients because the rest of the team picked it up. And you're right, you know, we, we have got a phenomenal team and you can't do everything. So you've got to release the reins sometimes. That's such a good point, Nick. I feel like as human beings, we put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect mm. all the time that we don't want to show that vulnerability. No. But at a time like that, you have yeah. to. And once you put it out to the universe, people will respect mm. that and there'll always be a solution as well. So I think one of the biggest things is just sharing how, you, how you're feeling, being honest about it, because the quicker you can put it out there, the more that people will be there to support you as well. No, and you can sort of move forward when you're ready. It's really rare for you to open up, especially about your dad. And there was a time when we started talking about it in the car and you just basically burst out crying. And I could tell that you you almost wanted to talk about it, but you couldn't. Where does that feeling come from? I feel vulnerable, I think, when I get emotional. And it's just something that I've always been like. And it's not anything that, you know, you've learned to be. It's just who I am as a person. And I think that that all comes down to the trust element again, I suppose, where if you don't let many people in, not many people will hurt you. And if you don't really talk about your feelings, then you're not vulnerable or or weak. And, you know, one of my biggest sayings is I'm fine. Like I say, I'm fine so many times. And that fine could mean depressed, stressed, anxious, upset, happy, so many different things. But it's my answer to everything. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. And I don't, I don't really know why I don't talk about things, but I feel that when I do get upset, it sets me back and it detracts from what I'm trying to achieve. And for me personally, I feel it doesn't solve anything. It just, in fact, actually makes me feel worse. And, you know, I will continue to grieve for my dad for the rest of my years, but being upset and anxious and worried and stressed and depressed and all of those feelings that comes with being upset actually doesn't make me productive. It, it does the opposite for me personally. And I just feel that if I can park that emotion to one side and continue to drive forward, I get more out of life. But that mm. is again, just me. Yeah, and do you know what? It's interesting you say that because you mentioned the word productive then. And I think that's what your life's all about, Nick. Like, because you're, you're so driven, it's like you haven't got time to be dealing no. with these emotions. I've got stuff to do. And I think... There's certain qualities of that, that that's amazing. And I think, to be fair, me and you have both been on this sort of wave at the minute where we're starting to question, I think a lot of people are after COVID and lockdown, this whole hustle culture. We want a balance, right? Because I believe in like, listen, I believe in working hard and, and, and I know you certainly do. But the same time is there is that moment in life where you need to get that balance right because we don't want to get to the point where our mental health is ever in question. And I think sometimes, Nick, it is good to just try and deal with those emotions. And in fact, even you being on here now, I know it's like therapy for you because like it always is on a podcast, right? Because it's always, you always talk about things, but I know you'll leave this podcast feeling a little bit lighter. And I just, I think sometimes it is important to talk and it's okay not to be productive all the time. I think me and yeah. you try and make every minute of every day productive and it, it can be taxing, right? 
I think from my point of view, when we very first met, I always told you I had non-negotiables and I will give you my everything, but there are some non-negotiables that I'll never change and they are very set in my diary. And that is, I pick my grandchildren up from, from nursery school on a Friday. That happens irrespective of whether the biggest client in the world wants to meet us. I'll not either be on that meeting or that meeting would need to move because I absolutely will pick my grandchildren up. I spend Saturday with my family and that consists of watching my youngest son play football and then just being around my family. I like being around my family. And then I pick up work on a Sunday. But I think I've got a really good work-life balance and I do work extremely hard. And I think the benefit that I've got is my children are a lot older and they enable and allow me to work longer hours than what normal working hours consists of. And, you know, we we laugh and I think you laugh at me, but I leave the office at four o'clock. If I'm in the office, I leave at four o'clock and that's because I want to be present for my 13 year old when he's coming in from school and I want to make sure that he's eating properly and doing all of those things. I'm normally still sat behind a laptop, but I'm at home. I'm not in an office. I'm not sat on a motorway commuting. I'm at home. And and I think that I've formed a really good work-life balance where I think sometimes you really struggle with that. Mm. And I think together we have had conversations about you being too much. And that's not in a bad way. That's because you're so focused and driven on what you're wanting to achieve you sometimes don't take into consideration where other people are at that point. And when I came to to work with you on, at social PR, you had about 97 WhatsApp groups. And I remember saying that has got to stop. Like that in itself can create issues with mental health. Like that is a mm. lot to take on board. And then one of the other non-negotiables I made you set was that you don't message the team on a Sunday because you used to like set your week up at six o'clock on a Sunday night and you'd send a massive, great big WhatsApp. And I'd be like, but you don't know where anybody else is. They could be having dinner with the family. They could be doing anything. You don't know what they're doing and that's their own time and you need to stop. And you were like, why? Why do I need to do that? And I'm like, because it's not right. And, you know, they're just some boundaries that we needed to set within within business. But I'm always contactable, whether I'm on holiday, whether I'm abroad, whether I'm at home, I'm always contactable. I'll never not be contactable. But I think what you should do in life is set some non-negotiables. Like you can still be yeah. a grafter, but there's certain periods in your, your week, your day that need to be for you. Well, yeah, 100%. <laughs> I think boundaries that are an integral part of being happy, because if you don't have boundaries for yourself, then you're not going to have them for other people. Hence why I was probably over sort of exhausting my team sometimes because I didn't have any boundaries for myself. Therefore, I didn't really respect their boundaries. And it's so important to have that. And I really do struggle to get that work-life balance. I think I'm getting better. I'm definitely getting better. I think there's been some progress, but it's something I'm constantly working on. For example, I've just before this call now, I've just changed my phone number that I've had for 15 years. 15 years, right? And that's even during my partying days when people used to message me for guest lists. So you can imagine how accessible I am. And I've got a problem where I feel like I need to reply to every single message and every single person. And if I'm honest, it's just not possible. Like it really isn't. And I find it really difficult because I'm always trying to be a people pleaser. But I think it's from having people with experience, life experience, like you around me, Nick, as well, that I learn a lot from. And I just I feel like I've learned so much from being around you. And I think one of your biggest qualities is just, it's a, I think, first of all, like structure, operations, like... And also team, like management, like managing people and stuff. 
I just think we call you the mother hen of the business, <laughs> right? Um, pretty much the mother hen. And even then, you probably saw a glimpse of it then, the way Nick was talking to me. She still puts me in my place and I need that, right? And I think we all need that, but it's about having that balance. What What do you think is the key to managing people, especially for anyone who's listening who's got a business? And what do you think? I think understanding. I think putting yourself in their shoes. Don't judge. You don't. You shouldn't judge anybody's situation. I think you always need to listen and mould and adapt. Everybody isn't the same. I think people man manage a team of people as if they're robots, but actually within a team, everybody's got different traits that you need to manage certain qualities in different ways. And I think being their friend, but also earning the respect when you need to make some tough decisions. I think that that is somebody who's a good manager, but being relatable, I think, you know, I'm relatable. Like I haven't, I've worked hard. I've worked from the bottom, you know, from being the age of 17 to where I am now. And, and I think the other thing is don't ask a member of staff to do something you wouldn't do yourself. Like I will always dig deep. I remember, and we laugh about it, but we did an event a few a few weeks ago, and Scott was in Tulum at the time, and I remember I remember I was working the cloakroom, and I had like <laughs> thousands of coats for all these celebrities on my arms, and then this tarot reader walked into this event, and she gave me a suitcase, and I had a dress <laughs> on with I had a dress on with heels, and I remember I was lugging this suitcase through this Mac Stack event with all these celebrities, and I was like, "Is this what my career has come oh, to? Crazy. Is this it?" But having said that. I wouldn't ask anybody else to do something I wouldn't do myself. So you've got to also be part of a team. You know, there's no I in team. It's not, it's not me. Like I couldn't do what I do without the team around me and the support. And that comes from you also, you know, you're a great support to me. You're a great mentor to me. And I think, you know, you say what great qualities I've got, but you've got amazing qualities. And, you know, I think from, from my point of view, you've perhaps not been told that enough. You know, over the past two years, I think you're a phenomenal businessman. I think that you are prepared to take risks, perhaps a little bit more than I am, but that's a good trait to have. And I think that sometimes you care too much about what other people think. And actually, all you should really care about are the people that are closest to you because they're the ones with the the true care, the people that really mean a lot to you. And I think I've had to help you try and adapt to that because you were always looking for not reassurance and not necessarily praise, but validation. It's like I was looking for validation. Yeah, I think so. Mm. But and that and, and that there's nothing wrong with that. And I think you've not necessarily had that. But actually, if you look at where we've come over the past two years, you, you're you a completely different human being. Like you are completely different. You're very, very level. You're very likable. You've got, you wear your heart on your sleeve. You do anything for anybody. You know, you run a successful business. You've got a great network of relationships that you've built. You've built those relationships because it's you, it's your business, it's who you are. You know, the Scott Thomas is a business in its own entity and it's about managing that as well. But not everybody sees the real you. I think there's very few people that see the real you, but I absolutely do. That's something I'm um, I'm trying to learn because I've always been a people pleaser. I've always wanted to keep everyone happy. And, and I, I do get sucked into the social media world of followers and likes and stuff. And it can affect you sometimes because I, I'm a person who sort of thrives off, like you said, recognition and validation. And if I don't get that, and, and sometimes I haven't got it over the years. And one thing that I really get from you, Nick, all the time is appreciation. I feel appreciated I feel special and I feel loved and 
And that's so important for any human being. I feel like we need that validation and that's something that I really want to instill into the team as well. I want I want them to know and understand that we are a family and that I want us to have some great times and I, I need us to work hard. But at the same time is I want us to be sort of appreciated and, and validated. And I think that's something, for example, that you've instilled into our team as well. Because like, I think we're one of the only PR agencies that have got like a, a commission structure for our staff and stuff because we want them to be part of our growth and everything else. So it's exciting. But I think one of my biggest strengths is connecting people, right? Yeah. And bringing the best people into my businesses. And without a doubt, Nick, you have been my best signing to date. Like literally what you've done for me has been incredible. And you have so many different qualities that I'm learning from all the time. And it comes with experience. And you've, like you said, you've you started from the bottom. And with you by my side, I feel like we're going to achieve some impressive things over the next five years, especially. But I just want to say a massive thank you, Nick, for everything so far. And I'm so proud of you for opening up tonight because I know it wouldn't have been easy, but your dad will be so proud of you. And I know my dad and your dad will probably be up there now. Not talking business because my dad will probably be talking about racehorses. Definitely having a smoke. Yeah, probably having a smoke and a a little drink maybe. Here's here's to both of them. Yeah. With my imaginary drink. I've had to go in here. Here's to both of them. Cheers, Dad. But thank you, Nick. You're an angel. I love you. Love you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. That was an emotional episode thank you so much Nicola for joining me and and sharing something that I know is so close to your heart and I know that would have been difficult but I'm so proud of you thank you so much and thank you to everyone who listened honestly I have to pinch myself every single day because the support for this podcast has been insane thank you to everyone who's rated reviewed and followed because it really does make a massive difference and please keep tagging me on Instagram scott.thomas because I want to keep sharing And don't forget, you can check out Manx and the Mic, my other podcast with my bros. But next week, we are back with another life lesson. So get ready to learn as we go. And I'll see you next week.